Hello, this is Victor Miller, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now... Here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome once again to another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this is episode 176 of the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. And the start of season five of On Screen and Beyond is very near as we get ready to start another season of celebrity interviews and so much more. And that happens in September. And I hope you're going to stick around and join us for that. And I want to also thank each and every one of you who joins us each week here at On Screen and Beyond, whether it's weekly or occasionally, uh, from all over the world, including New Zealand, Germany, Australia, Ireland, China, France, England, Canada, and so many more. It's just amazing. Uh, It just just really amazes me when I see the list of the countries that are listening to On Screen and Beyond, and I appreciate your emails and everything, and I hope you'll join us, and I hope you're enjoying every guest that we have here as they share their stories with us, and a reminder that you can suggest guests to me at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com, and I'll see what I can do about contacting that person and see what I can do. And um, many of our suggestions uh, for guests actually end up being guests right here on On Screen and Beyond, and including last week's guest, Hal Linden, even came from a listener who made the initial contact with uh, Hal for me. And I want to thank Rob for doing that. And without him, we wouldn't have had Hal on the show. So uh, we want to thank each of every one of you who do make suggestions and help us out. We appreciate it very much. So what do you say? Let's get on with the show this week. The writer and creator of Friday the 13th movie, Victor Miller. He joins us, so stick around for that. It's going to be an interesting one. Now let's check out Remake Madness right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness, well, Stephen King's The Stand is headed down the remake road, so that should be interesting. Uh, it's going to be an actual film as opposed to a TV series, miniseries, so that'll be, uh, see what they can do with that. And the remake of The Lone Ranger that, uh, you know, recently has been in the news, uh, it, it seems like it's on shaky ground, even though Johnny Depp is connected to it. First, they say it uh, was going to be shut down. Uh, now they're saying that it will be made, but with a lower budget. So uh, it'll be interesting to find out what happens with that. Uh, Johnny Depp has been working on this for a while, so we'll see what uh, comes up with that, and we'll keep you updated. And Disney is working on a new version of Cinderella, slightly darker and similar to what they're doing with Snow White. So we'll keep you informed on that one, too. That's it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen to Be On, upcoming movies. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. 
Upcoming movies, well, more Stephen King info. It looks like the newest novel, 11-22-63, hasn't even been released yet that he's written. And uh, Jonathan Demme has signed on to direct a film version of that book. So that's kind of uh, amazing that the story isn't even out yet, and they've already uh, taken hold of it, and they're going to make a movie of it. And John Landis is working on a monster movie set in Paris, and the shooting will start in the next two years. That's it for upcoming movies. Next on On Screen to Be On, taking you down to Sequel City. Sequel City, well, Austin Powers 4 is moving along. Mike Myers has finally signed on to make the film. Still no director attached to the film, but uh, we'll see what happens with that. And Madagascar 3 will start uh, filming next summer in a spin-off movie of... The Madagascar Penguins is in the works. And also, Bridget Jones number 3 is moving along. The studio says it will be made. That's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on It's Going to Be On, TV on DVD. on DVD, well, October 25th snapped. The complete second season will come your way, and the Superhero Squad Show Season 2 Volume 2 lands on DVD on November 22nd, and look for Destry, the complete series of the old western. It'll arrive on DVD on September 6th with all 13 episodes starring John Gavin. That is it for TV on DVD. Coming up next on It's Going to Be On, Movies on DVD. Movies on DVD, well, The Whistleblower with Rachel Wise makes its way to DVD in January. And in December, you can look for Glee, the 3D concert movie, as it lands on DVD. And Emma Stone and The Help will also be on DVD in December. That's it for Movies on DVD from On Screen to Beyond. Coming up next on On Screen to Beyond, we sat down and talked with Victor Miller, who is the writer of Friday the 13th, the original. And he is got some other things he's done. He's actually won some Emmys, and he's going to talk about all that. It's coming up next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Today on On Screen and Beyond, my guest is a screenwriter who is best known for his 1980 horror film, Friday the 13th, but he has also won three Emmys for his writing on the daytime soap All My Children and nominated eight times. It's Victor Miller. Victor, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thank you very much, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Victor, Friday the 13th, everybody, of course, associates you with that, but three Emmys, that's amazing. Well, I, you know, after Friday the 13th, I did a, a couple of more screenplays. Uh, one got made, uh, A Stranger is Watching, um, and a couple of more were, uh, ended up in turnaround um, and were never made. And it looked like I was going to have to um, uh, find uh, some money somewhere. So uh, I got a call that said, uh, would I like to write uh, daytime drama, soap opera? And I said, uh, I don't know. I've never seen one. And so I went and interviewed and um, liked the people and uh, learned the craft and uh, spent 25 years doing it. And it was a great deal of fun, mainly because... My training early on um, was in improvisational theater, and writing soap is is writing in a team, in a group. Um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, you, you eventually write part of it yourself, but for the most part, it's, it's you sharing in a group with this creative process, 
It's not you being in an attic by uh, by yourself as an artist. And so that really appealed to me. It was fun. Um, it was high pressure because the ratings uh, were always uh, looming over your head. Mm-hmm. You get fired a lot uh, because they don't know who else to fire. <laughs> and um, but it was it was great fun, especially in the golden days of um, all my children when uh, Tad and and uh, Dixie and oh God and Hillary and all those people. They were great fun. Mm-hmm. So were you there when uh, Jenny was on the show? Oh, I ca- I came in um, just as Jenny was being blown up on the jet ski. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and uh, so uh, and then we went into the Olympics that summer, and so I I had been at One Life to Live, and ABC decided to switch me over to All My Children, which was much closer to my my personality because All My Children was kind of funny and funky and free freewheeling, and uh, uh, so that was. Uh, that was where I and that's where I began uh, right after Jenny was dead. Mm-hmm. Now, now we've had a couple of other stars from uh, All My Children on the show. Uh, one is a friend of mine, uh, Richard Van Vliet, who played Chuck. Was he on the show when you were writing? Or? Uh, yes, um, and I guess he was he was coming to an end, and I was coming to a beginning. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he was Chuck, and he. Uh, oh God, let's see. Uh, yeah, um, I guess just before. Before I got there was when Chuck was in the uh, oh god in the in, in the cave and in the snowed in with uh, what's her name and uh, oh god I, I know who you, yeah I know yeah, who I'm the blonde about. lady who was married to Nina. Palmer Cortland Nina no that was a different blonde lady that, oh, that was, was a different one okay yeah <laughs> but anyway and uh, that that was the real the golden age of all my children when uh, I think Palmer Cortland sent his uh, the wife who had slept with Chuck mm-hmm. in that in the uh, in the cave in the snow, thinking that they were dying, of course, which allows you to sleep with anybody you want if you think you're going to die. And anyway, anyway, Palmer Cortland suspected she was um, uh, she she had cheated on him because Palmer Cortland had uh, had a polo injury years before I got there right, that yeah. made him incapable of procreating. So he knew something was wrong. So he sent uh, sent her to um, uh, an obstetrician. But it was really somebody he had paid who would abort the child. I mean, that that was the most gothic stuff I had ever seen. And you know, and I'd written Friday the Thirteenth, but <laughs> but to send your wife to a gynecologist who's going to abort her, thinking that she's just having a checkup, <laughs> is really grim. Ob- oddly, obviously, it didn't it didn't happen. Uh, it was rescued in the in the nick of time. But uh, that that was. It was just so wild and zany, and I loved it, and, uh, and the fans loved it. It was yeah. great fun. And, and Chuck was terrific. I, I remember him with great affection. Yeah. yeah. Now, so what is it? About 10 of you sitting in an, in an office, and you're just throwing ideas around? And, and well, it's, it's, it's usually six to eight of you, and uh, one of them is called the head writer, and uh, she or he um, gets to say, that, that sucks, uh, let's do that, or mm-hmm. uh, we're not leaving here until you come up with something better. <clears throat> and so it's it's really that that sense of um you know if uh, if you're good in the morning and bad in the afternoon you just pray to god that somebody's good in the afternoon and bad in the morning <laughs> um because you just you just trade on each other and and it's it's exactly like improvisational theater because you really depend on each other um otherwise nobody's going home right um because you have to do 5 hours of drama every week um, and uh, you can't just on Friday say, well, we'll pick it up on Monday and finish it because you have to complete those five scripts. And um, 
or the five outlines for the scripts anyway. And uh, so it's it's really fun, and, and, and you, it's squeezing your brains to death. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, people say, well, how did you come up with stuff? And I said, well, um, because otherwise they didn't pay me. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know what to say to people who have writer's block, because I was for 25 years I was not allowed to have writer's block, or otherwise uh, my kids weren't going to go to college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so it's... It, it's a totally different kind of writing, and if you're, you know, ABC was always tr- sort of trying out. They'd go to uh, off-Broadway plays, and they'd bring in an off-Broadway playwright who was um, who looked really promising, and they usually ran screaming from the room because uh, the idea of writing in a group and having people say your idea sucks is just anathema <laughs> to them. Uh, so, so you have to develop a, a thick skin, right. and then the network comes in. And in their inestimable wisdom, tell you that your work sucks and the whole week is going to be thrown out, which now puts you a week behind. And so um, to say that it was highly charged atmosphere would be kind of underwhelming. Yeah. Now, soap sometimes get some really strange ideas out there that actually make it onto you know the the, the show. Right. Uh, is there anything that you ever came up with, or, or in your group, somebody came up with that was so bizarre that? You know, you guys didn't even <laughs> say that's worth putting in. Oh, uh, well, my favorite example of that is uh, my favorite head writer was Megan McTavish, and um, uh, she is now happily uh, retired, I guess, in uh, in northern Connecticut, uh, raising uh, Bernese mountain dogs. And but she was really great, and we were we I think we were really great for each other as as, uh, as writers. But um, at any rate, I came in one day and. Um, I said, I have this idea because I just read in the New York Times where a prostitute in Germany uh, had twins. One of them was black and one of them was white. And um, I had never known that was possible before, but obviously um, it is possible to have fraternal twins mm-hmm. uh, if you make love to two different people, and especially if one is, uh, one is black and one is white. Mm-hmm. It's entirely possible you get this. So uh, I didn't want to do the, the color line because we didn't have any any particular plots running that way, but it, we did have uh, these two guys and this one woman, which was going to make a perfect triangle, and so I said, let's have you know that, that scene where you, you go to the DNA thing, and it's a, it's a cliffhanger for Friday, and the person on Monday comes in and says, it's, it's Brian's baby. Well, I said, um, the twins are, um, the guy comes in on Monday and says, the twins are from both men. And which would have been an absolute first in soap opera, and in fact they did it. But Procter and Gamble was so reluctant because they owned the show. This was Guiding Light, and they were so reluctant to have this happen that they dragged their feet, kicking and screaming. But Megan convinced them that this was going to be brilliant because it had never been done, and you end up with a kind of a threes company thing, right. um, so that uh, you know the woman would say, "Well, I'm going to raise my my two sons and the kids and the, and the men would say well we want to live with them too so you'd have this entirely new uh, wonderful kind of environment which would be just filled with all kinds of fun and passion and and craziness so anyway eventually megan and i were fired and um as soon as we were gone procter and gamble had the new head writer write backwards um and uh, take and and have it uh, so that somebody said it was they're not uh, both men's children. Um, they're only one guy's, and it was all uh, somebody in the in the DNA lab screwed up or was paid to do it or something like that. So <laughs> that's the wildest and most fun. 
um, that I ever that I ever came up with, and it lasted for a little while, at least until the uh, the the cowardice overtook the sponsor. Hmm. Jeez. <laughs> but you know, you you have to have plots like uh, uh, I come back as my the brother I never knew I had because right. if if you hire me, you know, say as a young actor, and I come on and I'm successful and it, it's really great and I'm a romantic hero, and then I say to you, as a producer, I say, look, I want to go to Hollywood and and become a major motion picture star or at least a nighttime star. So I go away and and you kill me on screen. Everybody in, at home knows if you see the body and if it's killed on screen, the guy's really dead. So the only way you can come back after you've failed in Hollywood is to say, can I come back as my brother mm-hmm. and uh, or as, as somebody with a facelift or whatever. But um, So there's, you're constantly uh, writing these incredibly Byzantine plots in order to justify something that really the, the purpose of is that... Uh, Somebody, um, uh, the actor is is into something or weird. I mean, we had a guy on a show. I won't name him or the show, but over the he was a he was a mustachioed character, and um, uh, over the weekend, in a I guess he was drinking, came back without his mustache. Oh, and talk to continuity about that. You, I mean, you're constantly having to work it. it it's a medium unlike no other. Jeez. And, and a lot of people will say, what are these writers thinking of? But a lot of times, it's probably not your fault. It's like you say, you're being, you know, so they come up to you and say, well, hey, you know, we're bringing back so-and-so, and, you know, you're stuck. You know, now you figure out how to do it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And and that's the, uh, that's the fun of it. I mean, in, in the same, I keep going back to improv, but uh, in improvisational theater, one of the main rules is you never say no. I mean, somebody comes on stage and says, "Hey, Brian, your mother's calling you," and, and you don't say, "Well, uh, I don't, I don't have a mother," uh, because then the scene stops dead. You say, "Oh, okay, uh, thanks. I'll go see her now." Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if somebody comes in and says, "Well, um, here's, here's, we've got, to, we've got to bring this character back, and we'll bring him back uh, as his third cousin once removed," um, and you say, "Fine." I mean, because saying no is is not going to be really helpful to the creative process. So it it really is fun for the brain. Um, mm-hmm. And even though sometimes you say, "Why are we bothering?" and "Why why do this?" it's um, it's great. It's great to do. You mentioned that you were seeing the news clip from uh, Germany or wherever it was. Yeah, you said. the New York Times. Yeah. Yeah. Did did you? tend to do that a lot, look at the current news events or, or past news events to try to get uh, uh, ideas to mix um, in? I don't think, I don't think we ever um, look at the news as, um, as grist for our thing, but, I mean, you, you can't not. I mean, everything that comes in front of your eyes. Uh, so just as a normal human being who's, uh, who's reading the paper every day on the train or whatever, uh, you see stuff and you say, ooh, that would be neat. There's a new, there's a new sexually transmitted disease. Um, you know, one we haven't given somebody, uh, or there's uh, there, there are new diseases that you can get. I mean, we're always looking for diseases that were really serious, but that you could recover from very quickly, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, you know you you want to go into Friday's tag with uh, uh, somebody just about to flatline, and um, they're putting the the things the uh, defibrillators on his chest and going pow. Um, and uh, and but you you never want to have a character in bed too long, so you you need something from which you can recover very quickly. Hmm. And there was, I noticed sometimes, sometimes you guys would cover for yourself, 
just in case. Like one example was, and I can't remember who who it was. I think it, it might have been, is it Josh Dumel? Oh, okay, yeah. I think I don't know if it was his character or some character, anyways. Right. Got blown up off, of, fell off a cliff or something into the water, and they said, "Oh, the body's gone. He's drowned." And then at the end of the show, you see a hand on the, in the <laughs> water, and it moves. And, and yeah. but you never, you know, I mean, obviously he's still out making movies, so he's not coming back. So, right. <laughs> but you covered for it in case. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely, because. Uh, um, our fans were not only loyal; they were very intelligent, and they everybody knows the rules. And you, you, you know, you can you can be flaky all you want, but you have to be flaky within the within the soap opera parameters. Um, and so, you have to play fair with the audience; otherwise, they'll, you get uh, emails and mail uh, coming in uh, in droves, um, just um, reaming you out for for not not abiding by the rules. Um, so it's uh, you, we have all kinds, of, or we had, uh, I don't know, because everything's sort of ending now, but we had all kinds of people doing continuity. I mean, sometimes you'd, you'd write a scene, and, and one of the continuity people would write you a note saying, by the way, you have um, uh, Susan Lucci uh, drinking champagne in this scene, but she's been sober for X number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, so you forget, you know, all right. uh, but they're, they're all this kind of stuff, because if, if we don't catch it, believe me, the audience does. Well, what, what would happen when uh, a new writer came in, or new writers, and they didn't know the past history? Well, uh, they have all kinds of historical documents, which you can read, but uh-huh. obviously you can't memorize them right, uh, yeah. over time. But uh, as you're folded in as a new writer, um, you you know, people are... Uh, People are uh, being very supportive of you because it's just in all our best interest to have uh, to have it go well for you, mm-hmm. and so they will say, um, "No, that's not the, that's not the kind of thing he would do." I mean, I, my first year at All My Children, I was constantly making mistakes and and uh, of that kind, and you know they would just uh, they would get you in the office and say, "This is um, this is out of the the realm of Palmer Cortland. He just he wouldn't do that kind of thing because X, Y, and Z." And you say, "Oh, okay, thank you." And so you change the beat, um, and it, it's it's as I say, it's this constant give and take yeah. uh, to make it work. Mm-hmm. Now we recently also had um, Katie McLean on the show who plays Dixie. Love or, her. Did, were you working on it on the show when she was on? A lot of yeah, you yeah. Really, I yeah. I came and went because uh, as I said, um, when when the ratings go down for whatever reason. Uh, the only people they can think of as firing is writers, so uh, we get uh, moved around a lot. But I, I did a lot of stuff with uh, with Katie on our. I was writing there when she first came on uh, as a sweet little girl, and and uh, I remember one of the first weeks after after her first week, uh, she brought us a, a basket of uh, jams and jellies or something. It couldn't have been more adorable. But she was she's a terrific actress. Oh yeah, yeah, very nice, very nice. Um, now, what do you think about the fact that it's it's all coming to an end on all my children? Well, I think um, as my my late mother used to say, um, which made us all grind our teeth and hate her. Uh, you only have yourselves to blame. <laughs> I think that after, um, I mean, there, there are just a couple of pieces of, of information that are that are crucial. The one is that. After O.J. Simpson's trial came to an end, um, we lost half of our daytime audience did not return. 
Mm-hmm. And it was at that point that um, uh, management, such as it was, uh, should have said, well, we've got, you know, uh, radical uh, drops require radical measures. And it would have been, uh, I think, uh, with the benefit of hindsight, I think they should have just redoubled their efforts in terms of uh, going out where, where, as Megan used to love to say, let's go where the buses don't run. I think it was uh, important at that point to to find ways to get an audience recommitted to the daytime thing, whatever that is. I mean, obviously, O.J. was more fun because he'd really killed people, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, we we only pretended to. Right. Yeah. And uh, so suddenly, court TV was born, and and people said, "Oh, this is much more fun. We got real dead people here." Mm-hmm. Um, and also, they, it broke the the habit or the addiction, if if some people have it. Um, of watching daytime soaps, but I really, I really think that uh, as as often happens in the corporate world, um, when the numbers go down, you become conservative rather than uh, than progressive. And if they had just gone back to the roots of All My Children with uh, the more wild and 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 fun stuff, it used to be campy. It used mm-hmm. to be all kinds of great stuff. You'd have Carol Burnett guest starring oh, yeah. on the show, yeah. and all that went out the window uh, as the different corporations. I mean, first it went from ABC. Well, first Agnes Nixon owned the show, and then ABC owned the show, and then um, Capital Cities owned it, and then a- then Disney owned Capital Cities. And uh, in that uh, melange, um, lots of stuff got lost, and I think uh, Courage was one of them. Uh, yeah. Now, did you were you part of the Tad in the chicken suit? With Dixie, <laughs> in the oh no! I um, I think that was, yeah, that was after after I got. Uh, well, I left at one point in. Uh, oh God, I can't remember. Uh, it was like oh, eighty four, I guess it was, or something. I can't remember. Uh, eighty five, and I went. I was over at Guiding Light, and then I was over at Another World, and then I came back to all my children for the strike of eighty eight, and then after the strike. Um, they canned me, and I went over to God, Guiding Light, Another World, something like that. Um, but it's as as Sam Hall, who uh, was the head writer at One Life, who first interviewed me, said, you know, Victor, if you can learn how to do this, um, it will be an annuity for you for life. And he was absolutely right. It's a very specialized craft, and I guess um, it's not going to be needed any longer. Yeah. Do you think the, the studios or, or the networks, whatever, are trying to save money because it's cheaper to have judge bill or judge joe or judge susan <laughs> oh absolutely absolutely but we're we're all looking at the bottom line the movies are looking at the bottom line the television is looking at the bottom line that everything is being run by uh, computers and um i you know i can't blame them it's their money or it's right. the stockholders money um i can't blame them but it's certainly um it's it's a horrible way to to do stuff and uh, the the so-called reality shows, which really aren't real at all, right. <laughs> um, are incredibly cheap to to manufacture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 the thing is, they they say, well, there's no writers on those shows. Of course, there's well, <laughs> and there of course there are. They're just non. What they should be saying is they're non-union writers. Right. Yes. And it's the producers, and and they're, and I can't blame young kids who want to break into uh, into writing. Mm-hmm. For uh, writing this kind of stuff, it's just uh, um, it's tough that 
it's so schlocky and horrible. Yeah, yeah, and it's amazing that people, you know, some people really believe that. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an example of one of the things that goes on these reality shows. You know that. Uh, you know, somebody's stealing their car. They they think that that's that really happens. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and even I know the the kind of rehab intervention he shows are uh, they're not going to be happy if um, if you send me to rehab and I'm I'm really great and I never cry and uh, <laughs> and I don't hate my family and um, I don't go out and cheat. You know, mm-hmm. uh, because nobody's going to watch that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they. I mean, I'm sure they're picking these people. So, okay, let's see who's going to cause the most trouble here. <laughs> exactly. I, th- I suspect they probably say, uh, if if they're not doing it uh, subtly by saying, you know, I think your wife's cheating on you, <laughs> just to cause trouble, um, they're saying, you know, um, they're, they're doing they're doing it somehow, mm-hmm. yeah. just g- getting the getting the worst side of human behavior. Which really is um, kind of depressing in a in a time when nobody has any money and every and everybody you see on television is is a real crummy human. Mm-hmm, yeah. But I mean, it's what it's doing um, very simply for me and my wife. We love watching television. I mean, we're real uh, television watchers, and um, oh, we're we're doing nothing but uh, FX and USA and HBO and Showtime and uh, all those the nighttime shows. I I go nuts when. Um, when they when they run out, you know, mm. uh, because I'm stuck going back to the, the the pablum that's on the network. Yeah, well, it's funny because the networks used to be where you went for your usual entertainment. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, now a lot of those other the cable networks seem to be coming up with better shows than yep. the networks are coming up with. And unfortunately, um, you know, they they don't seem to have very long lives because. Um, uh, they it's expensive to do, and they don't grab the number of viewers uh, that uh, that the networks grab. So uh, it's really tricky. They have to be uh, blockbuster successes in order to succeed. But I mean, I, I, I will pick Sons of Anarchy or Justified or Rescue Me or any of the any of the cable shows. Uh, you know, way way beyond. Um, the stuff. The only the only good network show I can think of offhand is Good The Good Wife. Mm-hmm. You know, there's um, yeah. every once in a while, just by accident, somebody really good uh, chooses something really good. Yeah, yeah. Like I've told many people who've been guests, the, the celebrities from the shows, if I like the show, chances are their show is going to be canceled because <laughs> <laughs> I have a bad. I'll get interested in a show and then all of a sudden it's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, and that's it. I mean, I um, I remember a network meeting, a notes meeting, and uh, I was ta- I was going on. Oh, um, uh, oh God, what was it? Ally McBeal. Ah, yes. Yeah. I was talking about Ally McBeal, and um, in the early days, and I said, you know, they've got some really wonderful characters in that. And the, and the head of daytime was telling me, um, you know, Victor, uh, we get much better ratings than that show. And so uh, we're not going to copy them. I mean, it was um, just just a whole lot of short-sightedness, <laughs> but all uh, all driven by um, the all driven by the bottom line. Yeah, yeah. Because you hear people when they talk about shows that are on these cable shows, like uh, well, it's gone, but Arrested Development or yeah. or all oh. these other shows. People will say the first thing they say they're quirky and they're you know, yeah. but the networks don't do that. No, or very, very seldom. I should say. They, I mean, they, there are a few once in a while, but 
you know. Well, look, I mean, I never understood that um, something like uh, Everybody Loves Raymond was a, a world-beating hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've never, I don't think I've laughed once at anything Ray Romano's ever said. I have nothing against him. He's just kind of flat and dull. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the, the two and a half men about which this man was making incredible amounts of money, oh, yeah. Mr. Sheen, um, you know, it's just, it's everybody being a smart ass. Um, you know, the, especially, everybody seems to love these shows where the eight year old says these incredibly um, cl- uh, slick jibes. Mm-hmm. It's just totally nuts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, now, we talked about a lot about all my children, but uh, and, and you mentioned some of the other ones you were you uh, wrote for. Uh, you wrote for Another World and General Hospital, and Guiding Light, and One Life to Live. Were there any others? Or uh, I mean, that's not, about all. Of them. <laughs> not that I can remember. Um, it, it's it's a it's a very strange business, and um, but uh, it. You know, in order to, in, as you were asking earlier, you know, how do you deal with a, a new writer? Um, it's just much easier to to hire from within the the group of people who've been writing soaps for all this time, um, because um, you have to be able to hit the hit the street running. I mean, I, for instance, I never took a two week vacation while I was uh, in Soapland because um, anytime I was missing, somebody else had to cover for me, yeah. and because um, you can't hire a temp. Right. So, so you wouldn't do that to your brother or sister writer, and yeah. so um, nobody got like two week vacations. You take a week and and be glad you got it at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, it's I kept calling metaphorically um, after about uh, six months in the business. I said, "This is dancing in a Cuisinart. <laughs> that that blade is going to come around, and it keeps coming around, and there's no stopping it. Um, it's." It's like the population explosion, you know. Right. Gee. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it's going to be over. So, yeah. And, of course, I want to talk about Friday the 13th, but um, uh, how did you start out? What, when you were young, did you say, oh, I want to be a writer, or what, how did that come about? Um, let's see. I, I went through, actually, I wanted to be an actor. Um, oh, okay. I just figured that uh, I wanted everybody to absolutely adore me, uh, and that looked like a good way to do it. And... Uh, <laughs> But then I I was in some uh, a, a freshman one act at Yale and uh, and after the the cast party or during the cast party this um, this grizzled tech director who was really nice and very insightful came up to me and he said Victor I just have one thing to say to you and I said what and he said uh, you're the most self conscious actor I've ever seen on any stage anywhere well it was he said it very nicely I'm I'm I was deeply hurt but i knew somewhere in in my amygdala or some smart place in my brain uh i knew he was right and i knew i would never get any better that it wasn't something being self-conscious is not something you can learn uh how to get out from under Mm -hmm. at least not at uh, age 19 and uh so i i started looking around for other uh other ways because i definitely wanted to be in in the entertainment business somewhere 
and so I uh, looked into cinematography, and I, you know, did some some of that. I worked uh, for a documentary filmmaker named Francis Thompson, um, who did the who did the first three screen movie um, as part of the World Fair thing, and uh, uh, got in New York, I guess, in Brooklyn. At any rate, um, and um, and writing, and I took all the writing courses at Yale that I could find, and um, after that. Uh, Went to uh, drama school and uh, learned how to take plays apart <laughs> and uh, and direct. And so I just kept I kept going at it. And eventually, um, I met this uh, guy who had gone to Yale Drama School as a as a playwright. And he said I should try it. And he so he he mentored me. His name was Mylon Stitt, and uh, he wrote a Runner Stumbles or The Runner Stumbles. I'm not sure which it is. Anyway, um, and he coached me, and I learned some some craft from him, and I just kept on going from there. Hmm. Now, how does okay? When I think of Yale, I think of <laughs> you yes. know very stiff upper lip type <laughs> type. Yes. And how did you go from that to, to Friday the Thirteenth? Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> well, I've always been tacky. Uh, I mean, my, my I disappointed my parents greatly. Um, I mean. My mother, when she was in the old age home in her last days, introduced me to one of her floor mates and said, this is, this is my son, the writer, but he only writes soap opera. And she was always supportive. But um, it, I don't know. I've always had kind of a popular taste. I, I like popular movies. I like popular television. Um, uh, I, I wanted to think of myself as an artist. I wanted to be Hemingway or Faulkner or somebody really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, one of my, you know, uh, my my Yale has a course called Daily Themes, which you have to write a page, uh, you know, double spaced page every day, five days a week uh, for the entire semester, and uh, it's all fiction. And you know, you, they're really good uh, instructors who are um, critiquing your work. And after the first week of my stuff, my teacher, Harry Berger, Jr., who was an absolutely brilliant man, wrote across the top of my uh, my last theme, when are you going to stop writing this soap opera crap? And um, I had not, you know, I had not watched any soap operas. And, and in fact, um, when I was a child, I listened to the soap operas on the radio when I was homesick, because that was like in the late 40s, early 50s. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, but um, I guess I've just always had um, um, a taste for uh, common entertainment, whatever that's called. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm a great disappointment to Yale, though they would certainly not turn down any gifts that I might that's give. That's right. <laughs> um, but, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, one of the, you know, my classmates, uh, by contrast, I've got a classmate uh, who you will know the name of, named Sam Watterson. Oh, yeah. Who? could not be a more classy human being or a, a classy actor and has been associated with some really wonderful pieces and got an Oscar for The Killing Fields. And, um, so, um, but, you know, we all got along fine, and um, I, I think Sam could not be a nicer man, and he was nice the last time I saw him and uh, greeted me warmly. Um, so it's, you know, the, I, just like when, uh, when David McGowan said to me, um, you know, uh, you're t- you're the most self-conscious actor I've ever seen. Um, at some point, I saw that um, that I was going to be uh, not an artist but a craftsman. Mm-hmm. 
And once you see that, um, you know, and it's not a, it was, certainly wasn't a cop-out, I just, because I had tried the art first, it wasn't like I had gone immediately to zero. Um, I started, uh, I started to really say, oh, okay, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, and, and I learned uh, a craft that, um, I mean, now I'm um, on my website, I, um, people have been sending me, uh, you know, screenplays and things which I am happy to critique for free, and, um, and because I, I really understand craft now, after 25 years of writing soap opera, you better understand craft. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, because if you haven't got that, you got nothing. Um, and uh, so it's it's really fun. And and I I say, well, you know, the, the, my only defense is the people I know who are really successful. And I'm not including Sam in this, but um, the art the writers I know who are really successful are much crazier than I am. <laughs> I'm I'm moderately crazy, but they're really over the top, and so um, uh, I'm really enjoying my my retirement as an almost sane human being. <laughs> so, how did you come up with the idea of Friday the Thirteenth and Jason? And oh, well, um, the the true to life version, the reality version of it is uh, I had done some uh, family films with Sean Cunningham, who lived down the road from me in Connecticut, and um, he had made uh, Last House on the Left with Wes Craven before. and um, but uh, That was a sick movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so at any rate, we, we did some nice family films because that's what uh, they were they were telling us in the newspaper, saying America needs good family films. So we did some nice family films, and uh, they barely made their, their cost back. And... Um, so then one day, Sean called me and said, um, Halloween's making a lot of money. Let's rip it off. So I went to see Halloween, and I learned the structure. As I said, I'm a, I'm a craftsman. So I, I saw pretty quickly that, um, that John Carpenter and Deborah Hill had, uh, had put together a really neat, neat structure. Mm-hmm. So I just um, took that. I saw the movie, came home, saw what was required, you know, a couple of things. You know, like you need a, some sort of evil that that precedes um, the 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 current thing that's going on. There has to be something sort of gothic that's buried in the past mm-hmm. uh, that's now informing the horror of the present. Uh, then you have to find a location where teenagers um, cannot be helped by adults, and um, then you need to have them get randy, and then you need to knock them off one by one. Um, so. Uh, the hardest part of Friday the 13th was figuring out a location. And once I had the location, you know, after coming up with about 50, 75 locations, um, you'd think that summer camp would be the most obvious choice, but it, it took a while. Really? Yeah. Came up with summer camp, started working it out. And in order to, in order to find the prior evil, um, you know, that, for instance, in Halloween, uh, Michael Myers had killed the babysitter and was sent away to whatever. But I, I just liked, for some reason, I loved the idea of this mother whose son had been, uh, was somewhat uh, slow, whose son had been, uh, who'd drowned because the camp counselors had been screwing around and were not paying attention. And so uh, as, a, as a means of, of righting um, the wrong, she just killed all camp counselors who attempted to start the camp again. Mm-hmm. Seemed made good sense to me. And um, years later, I had a shrink tell me that uh, that was a wonderful way of of getting of recreating the mother I never had. Um, my mother would not have killed people if um, if I had drowned. She would have said, "Oh, 
it's his own fault. <laughs> so I created the ideal mother who was so in love with me that uh, she would actually become homicidal <laughs> and, uh, and do in all these other people for no good reason. Now, was so, the hockey mask your... No. Original? No, the hockey mask, I think, came in uh, sequel number three. I have not seen any of the sequels. had nothing to do with any of them. Uh-huh. Um, but the hockey mask, I guess, came in, in the third one because, I, you know, you can't have a guy running around with uh, latex falling off his face all the time. Right. <laughs> and... Uh, and I, you know, in in my movie, Jason was long dead, uh, and in order to have a sequel, they resurrected him by saying that he'd been living, I guess, under the pond or something mm-hmm. um, for all these years while his mother was going around doing that. Which, goes, you know, for the purpose of of making profit, they undercut uh, everything, and and that's you know, yeah. What now, can I say? With all the sequels that have been made, I mean, I don't know what are they up to twenty five or something. No, it's, I think they're. <laughs> Their their grand plan was to stop at thirteen. I don't know where they are. Yeah, do you personally feel that a movie should go on to sequels, never whether it's one or or twenty, whatever? Uh, or do you feel that the story is told, bang, it's done, let's go on to another different story? Well, I would um, yes um, to answer your question. I think I like that better. Uh, but if if you really need to have sequels. I'm I'm in favor. I mean, the the thing I'd love to see is the prequel. Um, mm, you know, but yes. they've, they've never asked me, and and they have no interest in chatting with me. I don't think. But um, I would love to see you know the the summer that it all happened mm-hmm. uh, with a young Mrs. Voorhees, and I'd like to see her um, her uh, change and whatnot. But they they have made a, a cultural icon out of this um, little robot that goes around killing people mm-hmm. out of rage i guess uh, originally it was rage over his mother's death well she was killing people over in rage over his death so yeah it's sort of having your cake and eat it too i guess yeah. but um so who knows i i i think sequels are simply a way to make money to have a brand a franchise right. I, I see the same thing happening in nighttime television now which is really creeping me out um in the old days you know when you went to see Gunsmoke on a saturday night or whatever the hell it, it ran mm-hmm. um they never had previously on Gunsmoke. right but okay. they because uh, each each episode was uh was a, a complete um entity uh, to itself right. and you could you could re uh, rebroadcast them in any order you wanted to yep uh, as long as Matt Dillon didn't look too old in the beginning right yeah <laughs> and uh but now they it's i think that's one of the things that's killing soap opera is that they've turned nighttime into this strange hybrid soap opera where um I mean, The Good Wife is a perfect example. It's a it's a brilliant soap opera, and you want to see how she's going to handle the next thing, and you you can you can't um, interject. You know, you can't flip around uh, different episodes. One has to follow the other. Right. Yeah. Which was never the the course in uh, in, in nighttime before, except for things you know um, like Dallas and those guys. Those are nighttime soaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Now it's all be- become sequelized uh, or serialized, so that Burn Notice, uh, which I like a lot, uh, is all one thing has to almost always has to follow another because he's on this search to find out who did him in, and, um, and so uh, things. That's that's where soap opera has gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, it, when you mentioned that, one thing that popped into my head was uh, the TV. Remember the TV show Soap? 
which was oh, a parody of I adored that show. That was a riot. That was a. I mean, they went. They were a soap opera to the extreme. <laughs> yep, yep. It was wonderful. Yeah, they, they it was quite a parody that one. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I, so I think um, this was originally driven by money. Um, that uh, how are we going to hook Victor and Tina Miller into watching this show every week? Well, uh, let's try the cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. And once you do a series of cliffhangers, you are stuck into doing serial drama. Um, because otherwise, I mean, uh, Dragnet, the end was always, um, which I loved. Uh, that was a great, wonderful show, even though it was horribly right-wing. Um, the end of the show was they told you exactly how how many years the the criminal of the night got. Yep. Anyway, and he's off in San Quentin serving 25 to life. And you go, oh, great. And that was it. And you never had to watch Dragnet again, except you you watched the next week to see uh, who the bad guy was this time. Right, yeah. So that's all changed because uh, I guess they're scared that if I don't watch you one week, I won't watch you for two weeks and then for three weeks, and then the, the ratings will go down, and that means income goes down. The other thing I wanted to mention was you said you started wanted to be an actor, but mm-hmm. you, you're actually going to be in a couple of films coming up? Yes, um, uh, I was. I did a, a, a well, I guess a, a newsreader in front of a green screen here in my own living room. A friend of mine did the did the video, and then we sent that to this this guy in I think it's Kentucky. I always forget where he lives, and it's I, I don't have the name and and all that for uh, for you, but that and then um, uh, oh, I appeared. <laughs> The the Quiroz brothers who do um, horror films, they had me as a mailman in one of theirs. Um, these are basically under five line roles mm-hmm. yeah. uh, where I just sort of pop up. And then um, oh, I I auditioned for an independent film that uh, is going to be about twenty eight minutes long, and I get to play a bartender, which um, which will be fun for me. Um, and um, yeah, I have the, my my research here shows me that uh, Midnight Matinee Psycho. Yes, that's where I'm the newsreader. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and then the other one is Deliverance from Evil? Uh, that I don't remember. Um, but it says it's in post-production. I oh, post. That would be, that sounds like the Kuros Brothers. Ah, okay. Yes. And, uh, and I, I, I love it just as a sort of a, you know, Alfred Hitchcock appearing on the bus in the movie. Uh-huh, uh, yeah. But uh, it's, it's just fun. I, don't, I do not think I have a career as an actor because... Um, uh, I'm just as awful as I was when I was 19 years old. <laughs> I love I love doing voiceovers. If anybody wants my voice, but um, those those uh, th- that doesn't bother me as much somehow. Mm, yeah. But I, if you, for instance, if you just have a camera and you say, "Look, I'd like to take a, a picture of you for to post on my website for this interview," uh, instantly. When you turn the camera at me, I will start looking like a dead raccoon at the side of the road. You know, my <laughs> mouth goes into rictus, and I just freeze. It's it's uh, nothing you want to see on an actor. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that's a talent in itself. You know. The ability to smile when you don't feel it. Yeah, I I can't do it. Yeah, um, you know. Huh. So, well, Victor, I want to finish up with just two okay. questions that uh, take us away from your your writing and and everything else. Uh, it's more on a personal note. Okay. The first one is, you mentioned that you were a, a big fan of TV. So mm-hmm. what's your favorite TV shows of all time? Oh, God, favorite TV shows of all time. Oh, Lord, that is so difficult. Um, 
God, uh, yeah, I wish you had given me a week to think about this. Um, I'm mean, right now. I'm. I, I don't know about all time, but wow. What um, well, would you I, just enjoy? That I really you... enjoy. I'm enjoying um, Justified at this point mm-hmm. a great deal. Um, but you know, when I was a kid, it was uh, Jackie Gleason and Jack Benny, yeah. and uh, God, I just I watched everything. Mm-hmm. Martin and Lewis, even, and now I can't stand Martin and Lewis. So, yeah, I mean, um, at this point, it's justified, but I just keep forgetting. You know, I, I loved The Man from Uncle when, it, when that was oh, on. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's just strange things. Um, yeah. I had and, Robert uh, Vaughn on the show, and he was, he, yeah. it, it, that was a thrill to have him on because, you know, to have Napoleon Solo on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. And I loved Trackdown, and oh, God, uh, the, what was the Steve McQueen show before that? But anyway. Um, all right, what's, what's your next question that's going to baffle me? The, the other one is your favorite movies of all time. Favorite movies of all time. Oh, this is going to go right to your question about how did a Yaley end up so tacky. Um, airplane. Yes, yes. Airplane the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, and things like, I mean, I loved all the film noir of the 50s and the late 40s. Because I, I started going to movies at, like, age seven or eight, and my mother would just drop me off at the theater with, like, 25 cents. And um, loved all those things. Uh, God. I even loved big, trashy movies like Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but um, I got I got to say, when I keep... Um, and movies like Slapshot, I go back to all the time. Yes, and, uh, I just oh, saw that. Raising, so Raising Arizona. Any Coen Brothers movie, the, uh, Miller's Crossing, I adore. Mm-hmm. So, I can't, I can't vote for a favorite. It depends on my mood. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. You know, just, yeah. just an idea of what, what you like yeah. and everything. Yeah. I'm, I, I would like to have been born either a, a Zucker brother or a Coen brother, <laughs> so I could play with their minds. Yeah, God, they're brilliant. Jeez. Well, Victor, this is, this has been a pleasure to have you on the show, and, Thank you. and it's been a lot of fun. So. I want to thank well, you. obviously, I don't think I was bored for a minute, so uh, <laughs> I, I hope that came through. It's it's really fun answering questions that I haven't been asked before. So, well, I'm glad glad I could come up with some. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Thank you, Brian. I want to thank Victor Miller very much for taking the time to talk to us here at On Screen to Be On. He has a lot of great stories, a nice guy, and uh, All My Children, and Friday the 13th, and all the other soaps he's written, and, and, and this crazy business of soap operas. But anyways, I want to thank him very much for taking the time to talk to us. And that's just about a wrap for this episode of On Screen to Be On. Until next time, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm your host, Brian Zimrak. Take care.